is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host. Let me start that over. <laughs> your. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I'm your hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your hope at all. Uh, nope. And, and not at all. And, and I was hoping you were gonna say I'm your pope. <laughs> In light of our conversation. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. You know what? Why don't that just be the introduction right there? I'm Buddy. This is Matt. Here we go. And he is not our Pope. I am not your Pope. I am not your Hope. I am what you would call a wretch. That's what I am. I am a wretch. Here's how I can prove to you that I'm a wretch. I can't even start the podcast the correct way because <laughs> uh-huh. i've been doing this for how long you're doing good. and i'm still tripping up with my words you're making us laugh brother all right here we go the truth talks podcast i'm your host buddy boone this is a special edition podcast obviously i'm releasing one on a saturday and i usually don't do this but this is what it's going to be and the reason why i'm doing it uh, on a saturday is because today is a special day some of you all are right now even in the midst of covid thinking that you might do some type of trick-or-treating or uh, even giving out tracks or however it is. But uh, we uh, here at the Truth Talks want to make sure that the truth is put out there about what this day is really all about. And the problem is a lot of people really think that it is about uh, goblins and ghosts and all these things. But <laughs> the, the, the only true thing that this day was all about was um, back in the year 1517, uh, a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther actually nailed, and this is controversial, you know, some people are like, well, this shouldn't be the day of Reformation, but this is what we celebrate it as. Um, he actually put 95 theses on the door at uh, the Wittenberg, Wittenberg uh, castle. Uh, castle there in Germany, and uh, these 95 theses pretty much uh, shook up the the papacy, the yeah. Roman Catholic Church. He actually um, did it on November 1st. He did it on November 1st? Yep, yep, that's why technically... When you're going through this and, you know, guys are correlating the Reformation to Halloween, tends to be November 1st. That's why it's called technically All Saints Day. I thought it was All Saints Day before. I thought before it was. It's November 1st. Yeah. Okay. So this so now I'm learning. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the thing about it is, okay, so I know that November 1st is All Saints Day. Yes. I thought that October. October 31st yes, was that's when he nails it when he nails but it. but the celebration now then most people is All Saints Day yeah I thought to, All Saints Day was before this happened like yeah you know, no, centuries before this yeah but that's what everybody tries to tie Halloween to they tie it to All Saints Day and that's kind of the that's kind of the remembrance not necessarily on Halloween Oh, okay, explain that because yeah. okay, so October thirty first, yep. fifteen seventeen, he, he nails. Yep. Yeah, yep. So yep. what they try to do is to pull attention away from the October thirty first. Yep. Him doing that, they push it to November first, All Saints. Day. Well, yeah, I mean they're just pulling it together and and calling it All Saints uh, Day, okay, okay, rather than calling it Halloween. All right, here's they, the question: They back, they pull All Saints Day back to October thirty first and make it about that. Okay, are we and, and when we say we uh, or they, are they are we talking Protestants or Catholics? Yeah, no, Protestants for gotcha. sure. Gotcha. Okay. Catholics don't. Now yeah. I understand. But yeah. the Catholic, I thought the Catholics uh, recognize mm-hmm. All Saints Day, though. No, they, no, they do. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. And also, I think that on this day, me and, my, me and the girls were talking about this on November 1st. Uh, that's also the Day of the Dead in uh, what it was, we were just homeschool stuff uh, yeah. in uh, Mexico. It is. It's a Day of the Dead where yeah. they will do, you know, put uh, cigars and whiskey yep. and flowers and stuff on their. Uh, their ancestors, whoever died in their family, on their graves, and if they don't do that, they feel as if they're cursed. That's yep. what I was reading. Yep. So, uh, so what I see is a hijack of all the days, yep. uh, uh, just to take away the attention from what really happened on this day. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. So, can you, Matt? Can you give me like a, a kind of like a, a, a overview of yep. what what this day really means to the church? Uh, yep. And when I say the church. I mean the Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Universal Church as it is, the Protestant Church. Yeah, the Protestant Church. Um, pr the word Protestant literally means protester, and that's really what it was all about, Martin Luther protesting against the Roman Catholic Church. It's uh, primarily in the beginning. It started over the sale of indulgences and what all that meant, and uh, and it grew It grew continually from that and into the Protestant Reformation and this whole idea of reforming the church, which um, didn't work in the sense of uh, changing, you know, bringing change to the Roman Catholic Church. That was actually Martin Luther's original intent. Uh, he wanted to transform the Roman Catholic Church to be a biblical church, but the Roman Catholic Church wanted no reforms. Hmm. And so his original intent was not to start the, the Lutheran Church, which is what ultimately he started, um, and it was to stay a Roman Catholic and to change Roman Catholicism to be more biblical. That's what he was. That's what he set out to do. Of course, that wasn't going to work because they were so far off the map. Um, but mm -hmm. I think you, I think to rightfully understand what went on, you had to go all the way back uh, a lot further than Martin Luther. If you're going to really understand what Martin Luther did. You have to understand that he was not the beginning of the Reformation. He he just continued, really, in many ways, what had started earlier. And sadly, a lot of people don't understand that. They kind of look at Martin Luther and focus on what he did, which was which was pretty amazing. And Martin Luther's got issues, and so I want to be clear about that. He, he didn't get everything right, mm -hmm. and he had some real problems on multiple levels. Um, and so I don't deny that, and I just want to be clear about that. However... One thing you have to understand about Martin Luther is like any reformer, he somebody has to blaze the trail. Mm -hmm. And that person that blazed the trail tends to, um, for lack of a better word, have a massive job ahead of them. Right. To do what he did was, again, it was of the Lord. There's no other way to define it or describe it because the fact that he wasn't killed, the fact that he wasn't assassinated, the fact that he wasn't, the whole thing wasn't derailed is only is only of, of God, God's hand in in and on him there's no other way to explain it it's uh it's pretty amazing to study it and see what the lord did and how the lord blessed um blessed that endeavor despite his issues despite some of his uh wrong understandings of things um but what i meant by going back is you got to go all the way back to uh, really the 1100 so we're talking 1517 is when you is when you described or was talking about him writing or and nailing the 95 thesis, um, but you got to go all the way back to the 1100s um, by uh, really by the by a man by the name of Peter Waldo, and this would have been his followers. You can study this in church history. Were known as the Waldensians, 
and really the Reformation, if you really study it, really finds its its beginnings back there, where they were hmm. already beginning to stand up and see the duplicity and the and the unbiblical nature of Roman Catholicism, and they were beginning to question it and and speak out against it, mm-hmm. and they were beginning to be persecuted for that, mm-hmm. right? And so, and then I think it's in the twelve, I think it's in the twelve twelve hundreds or thirteen hundreds, where you got a, you got then building out of the Waldensians, you have uh, John Wycliffe, who mm-hmm. who is called the Morning Star mm-hmm. of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. So Peter Waldo, in many ways, is the beginning of what we consider the Reformation and the Waldensians, which were essentially his followers that really started this movement of, yeah, Roman Catholicism's got issues. Mm. Uh, John Wycliffe then builds on that, and uh, he really, really, you know, in many ways creates a, a ruckus in what he did and, um, and as the morning star of the Reformation, and of course... The followers of John Wycliffe were called the Lollards, and so you can see them in church history and and what they were, the the issues they faced and the problems that they were dealing with against Roman Catholicism. So, um, I have a question: Is John Wycliffe the guy that died at the stake? Yes. Um, yeah. He was singing while he was while he was being burned. Well, um, or is that? Um, no, that's John Huss. Huss, that's, that's right. coming next. What John Wycliffe did, they actually dug his bones up and and burned them. Really? Yeah. After the fact. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. A, that's a different level of hate right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. Um, so, um, but um, then you have John Huss, mm-hmm. right? And John Huss is John Huss happens. He comes a hundred years before Martin Luther. Yeah. And so because uh, they called they they were comparing Martin Luther to us. That's why Martin Luther is often called uh, or referred to at times or even in pictures as a goose. Mm. And um, because uh, that's what John Huss, that's what Huss is, goose. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, and so you'll often see with Martin Luther a lot of times in the background in a picture or something, you'll see a goose hmm. because it's like the, the spirit of John Huss or the memory of John Huss is lived out in Martin Luther wow. because John Huss, and I don't know how factual this is, but many have talked about the, uh, and it's been repeated many times. R.C. Sproul talks about it um, where John Huss, when he was being killed, he said, you know, there's hundred years from now, something, someone's coming that you're not going to be able to stop. <laughs> and so whether that is historically exaggerated or whether that is factual, it's fun to think about because right. it was a hundred years later that Martin Luther comes yeah. in the spirit of John Huss, uh, on many levels. A and, broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. And so he <laughs> builds on that. So the point is everybody's building on what, who came before. Right. And, um, um, John Huss was, uh, he was, yeah, he was he was he was an amazing, amazing uh, guy, and what he did and what he stood for, and um, so encouraging, and 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 so Martin Luther is not the beginning. Martin Luther is what is known as the lightning rod. He is the one that kind of put the stake in the ground and mm-hmm. said no more, mm-hmm. right? But there was a whole band of followers by this time that were you know in this in this area of of the world that uh, we're, we're beginning to stand up against the Roman Catholic Church and say, this is not right. Mm-hmm. So, you, so to think about it correctly, you have to understand that Martin Luther is a, is a big deal, but he's not all alone. 
and right. you know and right. he didn't have people around him he mm-hmm. stood alone mm-hmm. but historically he is in a trail of men few mm-hmm. there be but still and 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 the reason why i say that is momentum was building mm-hmm. so any movement even in history it builds it it carries momentum mm-hmm. so oftentimes we focus on the day that something happened it's like 1776 right, right? right. well we focus on that but there was a hundred years yeah the of, puritans yes and... that that built that right. to that day mm-hmm. right and that's that's a right understanding of history when you get that background and so to rightfully understand martin luther's life you got to really take all that in and see and see what was going on around there one of the things that's interesting is and to really understand the reformation you have to understand the printing press because before, right. with mm-hmm. everybody else, we didn't have we didn't have that printing press, mm-hmm. meaning we didn't have the ability, or they didn't have the ability to mass produce mm-hmm. letters and 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 literature, mm-hmm. right? Well, before Martin Luther comes on the scene, the printing press is is in, invented, right? And Gutenberg, mm-hmm. and uh, so when Martin Luther gets on the scene, we've got the printing press. Mm-hmm. Well, that then. This is huge. So Martin Luther, when he starts writing and writes his 95 thesis, because the printing press is now in work, they were able to take that 95 thesis and mass produce it. Mm-hmm. You know, not in our day and age in quantities that we would understand mm-hmm. in, in digital media and all that. Mm-hmm. But in that day and age, that was massive. Mm-hmm. The Reformation, I'm confident of this, would have never happened like it happened where it was it not for the printing press mm-hmm. matter of fact i got a book somewhere on it's probably over here in my in my um right there right there it is i just, Brett, I just, I just want you all to know we are surrounded by books in yeah, this office in my church history section right there that book right there by Reformation uh, 500 no right there brand luther see that where it's andrew uh pedigree right there that whole book Brian Luther is all about Martin Luther tethered to the printing, how the printing press Mm -hmm. was used in, in the reformation Mm -hmm. and how the printing press changed, transformed so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it was, there was, it was written and it was broadcast out. Right. right? Which is, again, we understand that even biblically, right? The word of God is written. And when the word of God is written down and spread out and the impact that it has. So you can even see that with the Reformation, which is pretty interesting. So question, it was written in Latin, correct? Yes. The 95 Theses were written in Latin. Yes. And it was written in Latin. And this, again, it's important to know this. Latin was the academic language of the Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. It was not the common language. So the Mm -hmm. commoner did not understand that. Mm -hmm. So Martin Luther specifically Specifically, when he wrote the 95 Thesis in Latin, he was not trying to create a ruckus. He was not trying to put it in... in uh, German? Yeah, 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 but to put it in uh, com- common language. He was not, terms. He was not trying to create a BLM movement. <laughs> burning, because that's what happened. Right. I mean, let, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. The, the Peasants' Revolt was a negative response mm-hmm to the Reformation that he didn't want that yeah. actually happened and many people died because of it because they latched on to the mo- momentum but they took it in a direction that was unhelpful mm-hmm. and created all kinds of problems and so that was never his desire because and you and you know that because he wrote the 95 thesis in Latin right, right. because it was a and it was normal and this is the part most people forget or don't know 
So in that day and age, when you wanted a debate or when you wanted to uh, debate an issue and bring bring a grievance mm-hmm. um, uh, at the academic level, that's what you would do. You would write up your statement and you would post it, kind of like a bulletin board. Yeah. You would post it to the to the door of the of the seminary, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And saying, "Hey, here's my thesis. Let's talk about this." Right. So that's what he did. Mm-hmm. But he did it in Latin. The commoner couldn't read that, mm-hmm. right? So so he wasn't trying to spread lies and create vitriol. Right. But what they did was they took it, and 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 they 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 essentially translated it to mm-hmm. German and spread it across. Mm-hmm. You know the country essentially, and that created a massive stir. And, yeah, and so there, it's interesting to study that out and think about that. But he was wanting to have a debate, what because he wanted to reform the church. He didn't want to replace the church. That was his initial desire, and most people don't realize that. But when you read his works, you start to realize that he was he was a he was a Roman Catholic, you know, monk, you know, yeah. in every way, and a teacher. Yeah. I mean, he taught, and that was. That was his desire, but he had so many issues in large part. This wasn't the only issue, but he had so many issues with the um, uh, indulgences problem, especially with Titzel, who was coming in and selling indulgences to build the cathedral and St. Uh, Peter's. Peter's Cathedral and, 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 and all the lies that came from that. And so he, he was struggling with that and he wanted to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But there were other things. There was all kind of the relics. I mean, the, it all goes together that right. he, in the 95 thesis he brings out. Can you pause a second yeah. and explain what indulgences were? Yeah. So basically it's a, it's a false teaching that is literally, it was the prosperity gospel before the prosperity gospel. Wow. And it was basically, uh, you can deal with your loved one's sins who have already died by paying money. Mm-hmm. You can essentially buy them out of purgatory. Now, we know purgatory is not in the Bible, so that's right away we're dealing with something that's totally false because mm-hmm. there is no such thing. Nobody goes to a holding cell and, and has a second chance. Once you die, you either go to heaven or hell based upon whether you believed or didn't believe. And so, but anyway, Roman Catholicism... Uh, you know the the popes essentially came up with this idea we need money so much of all of false teaching is built around money mm-hmm. we need money to essentially build our our kingdom and here's one way we can do that we can build upon this teaching that uh, people are in this state of purgatory or even worse in hell burning but you can free them you can free them from hell if you'll just pay a certain amount of money and I'll give you a certificate showing that you have actually freed your mom, your grandmother, whatever. From So so they were traveling around the country mm-hmm. teaching this. Gotcha. And they would do it with great drama. I mean, they would build it up. They would have... Post- Light show. Yeah, and yeah smoke. smoking mirrors before there were smoking mirrors, right. right? And building this thing up because they were preying on emotions, just like the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. right? And preying on poor people, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the prosperity gospel. Right. Preying on desperate people, just like the prosperity gospel. I mean, you could see this. You could see the fingerprints so similar mm-hmm. because it's from Satan. I mean, this is how he right. works. Right. This is what he does. Well, I have a question. Just yeah. to make sure we're not speaking in Latin. Yeah. Um, so purgatory is the in between between heaven and hell where if someone didn't do enough good works they would go to purgatory and then work their way out of purgatory yep. to get to heaven yeah so yeah so um the whole roman catholic doctrine and of salvation is built upon 
a justification of works. Mm-hmm. It's not built upon a forensic justification, which means declared justification, where God looks at you and declares you righteous based upon another's righteousness, i.e. Christ. Mm-hmm. Roman Catholicism, again, why it's so confusing, because they use the word justification, but they don't mean what the Bible means. Mm-hmm. So in their world, justification is a process it's a process of you growing justified, of you growing in your justification by jumping through the hoops of the seven sacraments and growing in these things. And eventually you get to a point where God says, you've done it, you've worked it off, you're justified now. Mm-hmm. So purgatory is the place where people go who haven't worked out all their justification yet. Right. So they go there to continue working on it. Gotcha. And so they eventually reach that point where it's like over a thousand years, they've done enough good deeds or whatever, and they've prayed enough and Hail Marys and the whole like, and the, and it's like God frees them. And the indulgences were their- a, a fast forward. Yeah, their relatives paying off their yep. justification. Yep. And then they're able to enter in. Yeah. Now, here's a question. Maybe you don't, don't have the answer for it, but- how do you know how much <laughs> would be necessary exactly for that that person to be justified yeah. like that's it's like that was the first thing it's like okay so i have to pay but how much do i have to pay is it you know uh 7000 is it 10000 like yeah. how do i know well and that's that's part of the issue right um they they were constantly subjective in everything because it's all made up mm-hmm. and it's made up and it changes from town to town and, you know, based upon the wealth of the people. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Again, it's all man-made. So there's, there's no objectivity to it at all. It's whatever, you know, they wanted to say. And again, it's, that's another sign, sign of false teaching. Wow. Right. Yep. You know, it's subjectivity. So, all right. so now Martin Luther puts these 95 theses up on the, uh, castle, uh, AKA bulletin board door. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we got to go back. So, so Martin Luther, um, okay. Right. You, yeah. We do have to go back. Yeah. So he's born in essentially 1483. That's, that's he's born in Germany. He attends school. Um, he's attending essentially to be a, a lawyer. He mm-hmm. came from, uh, a family that wasn't necessarily extremely wealthy, and his father uh, wanted to see him uh, get a good education and mm-hmm. become a lawyer and to have a better life. And so originally that's what he set out to be, and that's where he went to school. And so um, he's uh, at law school. Um, he was there from 1502 to 1505 in uh, Erfurt. That's where he studied law. And then it was during that time when the famous uh, thunderstorm happens. Everybody's heard about that, right? Yeah. So he's in this thunderstorm. Now, he's a Catholic, right? He's been a Catholic his whole life, Roman Catholic. And so he's running through the thunderstorm, and it's evidently a violent storm, how it's described. And he makes a vow in the storm that if God, again, this will show you the theology and how he was not very sound. But he makes a vow that if God saves him, um, from this storm and keeps him alive that he vows to give his life in service to the, to serving God and not as a lawyer. And so he makes it through the storm and he then goes on to become a monk. And again, not, not the way you make decisions, <laughs> not the biblical uh, view of the will of God at mm-hmm. all, but he's, right. uh, he's unsaved. So, I mean, that's, that's how unbelievers who are seeking to be religious think. And so, um, if you just get me through this, Lord, I promised it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah. he transfers like within weeks 
Like he didn't sit around on it. So again, you start to see the demeanor of Luther. He was a man on a mission. When mm-hmm. he got it, when he set his mind to something, he was unchanged. That created all kinds of problems in his home that really bothered him. Meaning with his father, mm-hmm. created all kinds of tension between he and his dad. But he enters an Augustinian uh, monk, as and which is big because the Augustinian order had a um, had a uh, shall I say a a sounder doctrine <laughs> in the Roman Catholic Church. It wasn't perfect, but um, it is interesting that that's where he ended up. And 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 his original um, teacher in that uh, um, order was actually quite influential in his life because he kept driving him back to Christ. Hmm. Martin Luther struggled with his conscience and and the and the understanding that he was a sinner and he wrestled with it because he he realized he could never be good enough for Hmm. God. Martin Luther actually in his own testimony said he hated God because the more he grew in his understanding of God, the more he grew to understand that God hated him, meaning that he was such a sinner. How could I ever be right with God? And, Mm -hmm. and he felt like I'm in this endless battle with, I can never be good enough for Mm -hmm. God because I'm so sinful Mm -hmm. and God will never accept anything I do. So anything I do, it's like this circular and there's truth to that, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the end we are to be broken and to be driven to our knees and to see Christ as our only hope. Mm -hmm. Good works won't do it. And so, because Martin Luther tried, he tried, he, he, you know, would even beat himself, self, uh, flatulation where he was constantly, uh, flailing on himself with whips and he would sleep outside in the cold, which many people in this day and age did trying to fight sin and all these things. And he thought somehow that's going to please God. And of course it never, his sin never went away. He kept dealing with temptations and dealing with all this. And he did, he was just, he just lived a miserable life because he was haunted by his evil heart. Hmm. So he was seeing it and he was being provoked by it, but he's in a, he's in a, he's in a, denomination, not even a denomination. He's in a false apostate church who has no answers. The answers are keep trying. Answers are pray to Mary. Answers are you got to go to Rome and, and, and see all the relics and, and, and stack up all the good deeds. Like that's the answers. No hope in the Pope. No hope, man. And he's like dealing with this going, all right, what do I do? And, and anyway, so, um, so while he's there, his teacher says, "Hey, you, you, you know, you're struggling. I'm gonna send you to Rome, yeah. and uh, I'm gonna send you there to uh, uh, be encouraged. Because once you go there and you see the holy city, you're gonna be. This is gonna be helpful." Well, he goes there, and what he sees is a, is Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He, he's he does some of the things so that he can earn. Yeah, uh, of course, he's he, a good monk. He wa- he walks up the steps he, that he, Jesus walked up. Yep, and, he tries all the relics. He does mm-hmm. all the hoops. He and he's realizing this is a joke. Mm-hmm. And then he sees the duplicity. He sees the wickedness of the of the system. He sees the lies. He's starting to see through it. Mm-hmm. And he sees, you know, the Im- immorality and the priesthood. And he's looking through it and goes, This is this is all a scam. This is all a joke. This mm-hmm. is all a this this doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so he's wrestling and he's trying to figure out what in the world is this. And so again, he continues he continues struggling, but what happens is once he comes back, he ends up getting his doctorate in theology, and then he's appointed to Wittenberg, right, where the 95 Thesis. He's appointed right. there as a professor, so he's a doctor of theology. So he goes to Wittenberg to essentially teach theology. 
Hmm. So as he's there, he's not saved, right? He's still Roman Catholic monk, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so he's there teaching theology, which what does that do? It makes him get into the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So he starts teaching through, he lectures on the Psalms, he lectures on Romans, he lectures on Galatians, and he lectures on Hebrews. This is what he did while he was in at Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. So as he's working through that, um, he's forced with scripture. And he's having to read and understand, and he's wrestling with the text. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what is this? I've never never heard this, never understood this. And now he's starting to preach, and, um, and, um, which he would do once he started as a doctor of theology, he started preaching, and he pretty much did that the rest of his life while he was teaching and he was preaching. And again, he's faced with the text, and, um, and it begins to change his life. It begins to... Um, 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 uh, draw out from him truth, right? Draw out from his life an understanding of his need for truth. And so he he writes the 95 Thesis because he's starting as he's lecturing through realizing the duplicity, and he, start, and he writes it out in these 95 grievances, essentially mm-hmm. is what they are, right. 95 things that are not right. Mm-hmm. And so he writes them out, nails them on October 31st, 1517, um, on the Wittenberg door, All Saints Day, as I said, was on November 1st. And, and what was big about this was it was on All Saints Day. What was the point? All Saints Day is when all the merit of all the saints is offered up, right? And so that's the point. Because in Roman Catholicism, it's the merit of these saints, the merit that people would earn that they didn't need. Like, I have earned so much merit, and I didn't use it all like i didn't need it all to get into heaven so now that merit goes into this like bank account that can be used and purchased and used for others and that that's i mean it's a big deal wow that's crazy oh no no this is a big deal within the system it still is too yes to this day yeah all kinds of whacked out views like that and and of course mary is the one that, that that brings about so much merit because of what she did and and so uh you know not true but in their system so anyway that's november 1st is that day so when he nails the 95 thesis on october 31st he's essentially saying yeah i'm nailing this now because what's going to happen tomorrow is not right Mm. so he's making a statement Mm -hmm. right there's more going on there than and uh than uh most people uh realize um now when was he converted that's a good question Mm -hmm. it's hard to tell even in the 95 Thesis, when you read it, it is interesting because there's a lot that's not there. Um, if he was, if he was um, converted at that time, he was clearly young in his understanding of the truth, mm-hmm. right? Um, many uh, see his conversion at, at, you know, a year before the 95 Thesis. That's when most people look at it and say, yeah, it's in this time. You can look at his writings. You can see um, things that um, um, that seem to be a transformation, but I think it was later than that. Mm-hmm. When you look at his writing, I think it was, it was sometime later when he begins to really write some of his commentaries and things where you can really see, okay, this guy... He's a, he's a full blown Protestant. He fully believes in grace alone and mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, there clearly was a time where it was clouded, and he was still trying to again reform the Catholic Church rather than 
rightfully replace it with right. truth, right. right? And that's what I think you're seeing with the 95 Thesis, where he's still wrestling with some of it. He knows it's wrong, but he's not really, he hasn't really been confronted with grace alone yet, right? And without that, you don't really have the heart of the gospel, right? That it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's So he's still wrestling with that at that, at that point. So, so what I've learned is that he was actually reading through Romans chapter one yep. and round about verse 17. Yep. Um, and yep. that was kind of like the, the, the turning point or the, uh, the, I would say the, the, the spark for him to actually say, no, wait a minute, something I have to, well, not the spark, I would say just added a little bit more, uh, more diesel to that fire that was already within that was, you know, that was building, you know, from him uh, reading the scripture, going to Rome, seeing the duplicitous nature of the folks there and just adding to it. Is that correct? Or, yep. okay. Yep. Yeah. And, um, it is interesting cause he lectures, I'm, I'm looking at some notes I have here. He lectures on, uh, Romans from in 15, 15, 15, 16. Like that's when he lectures in Wittenberg through the Book of Romans. Mm-hmm. So it's at that time that he's being confronted with some of that. And that's why some people think that's when he was converted mm-hmm. at that time. But some of the writing, when you really look at it, it just it's just not as clear then on whether, but later, a few years later, even after the 95 thesis, a year or two later, it's like you can see clearly, oh, no, no, he's he's got the gospel now. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Right. And so there, there's just debate there. It's Again, it's, it's it's not a big issue at that, that point. He understands the gospel and gets it. So, um, so that, yeah, then what happens is um, the 95 Thesis does not go over well, to say it mildly. Yeah. And uh, especially because it gets spread and it creates such a such a stir. Right, mm-hmm. and um, so Pope Leo X um, was uh, um, essentially Pope at the time, and he is overly, overly um, uh, criticized by uh, Luther and by the people by this time because of what Luther wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, again, there's a momentum. People are, are frustrated with Roman Catholicism for political reasons, not spiritual reasons, which mm-hmm. is generally how it, how it works. But uh, Luther was taken under protection um, at that time by an interesting guy, uh, Prince Frederick the Wise of Saxony, and um, and um, he essentially uh, protects Luther. And again, it's God's sovereign grace. Had that guy not taken him under protection, he Luther would have died. I mean, they tried to kill him. Uh, the Pope tried to kill him multiple times, and they couldn't because he was hidden away. And um, and so again, you see. You see the Lord's sovereign grace in protecting him, and and that's and it, when he pulled him away, that's when he translates essentially the the Bible into German. It's during that time when he's hidden away that he does that, which is which is which is interesting. But it's during um, essentially um, fifteen uh, sixteen that he has to go before um, and fifteen nineteen that he has to go before the. The Pope and essentially, years later. yeah, that he has to defend, mm-hmm. essentially defend his, um, his, his essential, um, his thesis. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's in July of 1518 that the actual debate debate that you always see on TV and hear about between, um, uh, Johannes Eck and, um, 
and uh, different ones, right? And uh, so they're debating this. And um, I'm reading, I'm reading here in my notes because I want to give you. Um, I have a really good um, chart in here that. So in 15, yeah, here it is. I got a really good timeline here. So in, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna work through this because I think this will be helpful and speed it up. So in 1518, these debates between um, uh, Johann Eck, which is the theologian of the day mm-hmm. in in Roman Catholicism happen and that um um essentially Eck connects luther with huss and calls him a heretic basically Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that sets off the stage that's going to drive this thing in the in the direction that's where they condemn Wycliffe essentially uh as heretics as well so you got Wycliffe, Huss, and now Luther is being categorized as a heretic. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's starting to defend and declare sola scriptura, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal for them, right? Scripture alone, and Scripture defines the authority. And uh, and so Luther's driving scripture, uh, sola scriptura. Roman Catholicism is is adamantly against that. That that uh, it, the authority uh, comes through the church. That the church has the right of interpretation. No one knows what the interpretation of Scripture is apart from the church. Right. And this whole idea of sola scriptura is from hell, and and it's heretical. And so Luther's starting to drive that, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, Wycliffe, Hust are all condemned as heretics. And Luther's still teaching at this time. So you can see the rift that's starting to happen and a uh, massive problem. So Luther... Uh, uh, essentially um, writes uh, treaties at this point now. So he's, at this point, this is when it's clear, he's he's uh, he's basically given up on Reformation by this point because it's years later after the 95 Thesis. So we're at 1520, and um, Luther writes these three treaties. Uh, one's called To Christian Nobel- Nobility, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church, and The Freedom of the Christian. And uh, as Luther is writing these, um, um, he's writing, they're going out, the printing press, remember the printing press is, is happening, and he's writing all of these essentially, um, uh, how, sh- how shall I say it, condemnations against the church. The commoner are reading this, and they're getting fired up, mm-hmm. right? So this is, this is where the protests are starting to happen, mm-hmm. and unrest, and the Pope is seeing it, the Roman Catholics are seeing it, and it's creating a problem. And so, um, and this is when, in 1520, that Pope Leo actually then uh, sets out the, what's called the Papal Bull. You'll, you hear this in his history. Mm-hmm. And that is when he then condemns Luther publicly as a heretic. So Johann Eck has already done it in the debates, and so he's the theologian, but the Pope hasn't come out and declared that. So he declares it. And uh, and then then it's all right. Now what are you going to do with the heretic? Because a heretic in in that day was supposed to be burned at the stake, right? He was supposed to be killed. So that's where then they're going to pull Luther in. So they they want they they essentially say they want him to come and stand before, uh, 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 essentially before the Pope. So that's in 1521. So this shows you the time frame. He nails the 95 Thesis in 1517, and then. All the debates are happening between Luther and Johann Eck and others. And 
momentum is building. He's writing treaties. The Pope is saying things about Luther. Luther is saying things about the Pope. And tension is building. And it's in 1521 that the Diet of Worms, Worms mm-hmm. as it's spelled, but it's ver- with a V, Worms, the Diet of Worms comes in 1521. And that's the here I take my stand, I can do no other. Gotcha. That's the, that's the big one. Mm-hmm. That's the um, the point at which the Reformation is is essentially solidified because he stands before Pope and the Cardinals with the people watching, and he essentially goes against them. Now, what most people don't know, and this is interesting, it was multiple days. And the first time he appeared before them, and they had all his writings, because he had written so much at this time, mm-hmm. before him, and they're essentially saying, you got to recant. Recant or, you, or you're going to die. That's mm-hmm. essentially what, what, what was laid out before him. Recant this stuff. Say you're wrong. Say... You don't believe in this. Say the Pope is is who he is, and the Church is what it is, and all of that, and and we'll let you go free, basically. And uh, and he's kind of speechless the first day, doesn't really say a whole lot, and he asks for time, and so he goes he goes back to where he was staying, and there is a prayer that's phenomenal that we have that he prayed that night, and uh, it's. It's, it'll send chills down your, down your back when you read it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he prays for courage and prays to stand for truth and all these things. And so he does. He goes in. He goes in the next day, and that's when he comes back, and there's all this anticipation. And they're thinking, okay, yeah, he's going to do this. And that's when he stands up and basically um, what he famously says and kind of rolls through. And he does deny some things. and say that, you know, some of this, I probably didn't get that right. I probably should have said that with a little bit more grace. And But then when he starts talking about Sola Scriptura and these things, absolutely, it's Scripture and Scripture alone. I, I believe what I believe because this is what God's Word teaches, and no pope has authority over the Word, and, you know, he lays it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, that sent shockwaves. What's the name of that prayer? Is uh, it uh... uh I can't remember the name of it, but I have it. Yeah. yeah, I can I can get it to you. Because internet yeah. is a wonderful thing. I just yeah. I put in Martin Luther prayer before. And, yeah, put it before. Um, see if it comes up. But um, before the um, um, Diet of Worms. Okay. Prayer the night before the Diet of Worms. See if I bet you it'll come up. All right, you all. More Reformation talk here in a second. I'm just going to split it up over two weeks, so you all can hear the conversation, the full conversation. But now, for right now, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath and hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, 
Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God. Standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless, God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.